wanted to mention a couple of things uh, before we get rolling here tonight, and uh, some things uh, I'm going to have uh, Stevie share a little bit too, uh, because they're this weekend going to be doing a youth takeover here. Um, but uh, I want to, for you guys to have reference for this, the um, for the men on uh, June 16th, June 16th, uh, it's coming up here just a couple weeks, that's the day before Father's Day. Uh, I am speaking at Resurrection Life Church at a men's breakfast, and I'd like to invite all you guys to come out and join us at that. Uh, it's at 9 o'clock that morning, and uh, so at Res Life, and invite people to come. They said they wanted a manly man to speak at it, so they asked me. I'm not sure why that is, but <laughs> they should have asked Chuck, but uh <laughs> But anyway, so that's coming up on, uh, that's going to be coming up on the 16th, and love to have all you guys come out and help support me as I'm speaking that morning uh, at that event, and so it's going to be really awesome. Also, um, Jim Crabb is going to be with us here coming up on June the 10th, so not this weekend, but the following Sunday, Jim Crabb will be with us. Next Thursday will be the next part in Thirsty Thursdays where Chuck and Carrie are going to be sharing. And uh, so this will be a little bit different here tonight, the format, the way we're going to do things. I usually don't give out uh, notes, but I am going to do that tonight. And uh, so if you didn't get notes, Ken has those. And uh, I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, so it might help you out a little bit. Look, you won't have to look them all up right now. Or you can look them up, at least you'll have a reference in case I stumble over saying them to you. So um, if you, uh, hopefully everybody here has a Bible. That would be helpful, and uh, at least has access to one on version or something like that. We're going to talk about transformation. Transformation. So June 16th, remember, speaking at Res Life, Jim Crabb's uh, going to be on the 10th here uh, in just uh, next Sunday. Amen. So I'm going to ask Stevie to come up. Uh, Chuck, I don't see a mic up here for him, and uh, I don't know where that other mic got off to. But I wanted Stevie, Stevie's going to be sharing this weekend, and I thought maybe we'd just heckle him tonight a little bit and get him ready for the weekend, and, uh, you know, because his favorite thing to do is to preach, I know, and, <laughs> and uh, but anyways, to give him an opportunity, I wanted him to share a little bit with you about the Truth Youth and what they're doing with our youth program. He and Natalia are doing an awesome job, and uh, their team is really amazing, uh, the work that they're doing, so I wanted him to take a little bit of time here tonight and talk with you guys about that. So, Stevie, I'm going to turn it over to you and share about Truth Youth. Awesome. Thank you. How you guys doing this evening? Good. I'm doing good, actually. <laughs> um, as you guys know, uh, we changed the name of the youth group. Um, it's Truth Youth, which stands for Teaching, Reaching, Uplifting the One and Only Holy Son. And uh, it was kind of it's kind of weird, like how I, I was at work, you know, um, and I was praying. I was like, God, I, what, what's something fresh? What's something new? And I couldn't figure out anything. And I was like, whatever. It's getting frustrated. <laughs> and then, uh, what just came to me was that, what are we standing on? We're standing on the truth. And then, all these little things popped out to me um teaching 
in Proverbs 22, 6, NLT, it says, direct your children onto the right path, and when they grow old, they will not leave it. We look at the team now, we look at it, and yes, we know that they're not our birth kids, but we look at them, every single one of them, like they are. We're looking, we're looking for their best. Um, we're looking to see what God has for them. We're wanting to see them grow in every aspect of their lives. And it's really awesome to see, you know, our youth stepping out and being used and not being afraid to actually be used by God. Um, that's a short version of that. We'll just go quick. Uh, reaching to the Great Commission, um, Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, in the Passion Translation. Then Jesus came close to them and said, All the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them faithfully, to follow all that I have commanded you. Reaching. We want to reach to the youth that are like the most upbeat and the most energetic, but we also want to stop and we want to reach those that are hurting, depressed, sad. Um, we had, we had, I think it was last week, last week um, this this. Uh, girl came to our youth group. She's been here a few times. I uh, won't say her name. And, you know, she was struggling. Um, she told us that she had been severely depressed for like the last six months. And the first time she got out of bed, really, was to come to youth. And that that just really, that spoke that spoke to me. And that's like, she knew, she actually called and asked the person, hey, can I come to youth with you? That's awesome to me. That no matter what situation is going on, we want to reach out to that person. And with God, we know we're already seeing that lives are being changed. Um, and so that's awesome. <laughs> uh and also reaching out like like we're doing that lock in we're we're doing things for the teens to be able to have a safe place to come in and you know have fun learn learn about people their own age that you know at schools they probably wouldn't really see each other but then you know you get that family atmosphere and that changes things and then they're you know going two by twos to talk to people and then things spark and they are sharing their faith. And, yeah. So uplifting. Uh, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen. Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That speaks for itself. We're giving, we want to give them the tools to be able to, like I said, speak to one of their other peers in the youth group and say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Can you pray for me? Can you, can you stand here in the gap with me and help me through this? And, yes, 
we will be there with them. But they're not always going to come and speak to people, adults, because that's not what teens do. But if we give the necessary tools where they can say, hey, hey, so-and-so, pray for me right now. On any given service at youth, um, we have at least one or two times where a student goes and has a word for somebody and says, come here, sit right here, I'm going to pray for you because God has something for you. And that's that's awesome. <laughs> uh, the next point, the one only holy son, you guys will see more of that on Sunday if you're here because uh, we have a song that's going to fit right into this part. But um, there's only one God. There's only one. And no matter what's happening, we're sharing that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And with that being said, it's going to be, it's going to be easier when they realize that no matter what's coming their way, that the name of Jesus is stronger than anything that can and will come after. And my last point is community, loving always. Um, I was out in California and at Catalyst West, and there was a guy named Bob Goff. And when he starts speaking about, you know, loving people, that really connected with me because as youth pastors, I have to love. I, I want to love. And I will love every student that walks through this door. No matter where they come from, no matter what they're going through, no matter how hard it is, because for God so loved. And and this God gave God gave a son. We're not giving like our kids or anything, but we're giving our time, we're giving our effort, we're giving everything that we are to your youth. And that's that's our goal is to show the truth of Christ, but also to show the truth of love and that with that love wins. And so, yeah, there's that. <laughs> of um, God's, you know, he and Natalia both, but uh, Natalia, of course, was raised here in our church. Stick up here a minute, will you? And, um, sorry, <laughs> and uh, he, uh, and, you know, she lived a Christian life. I mean, Natalia was, I always told her she was Mary Poppins, practically perfect in every way, <laughs> and, and uh, yeah, yeah, and she believed it, amen, <laughs> and still believes it, that's right. <laughs> And, you know, Stevie has such an incredible story of, you know, in his life, without a lot of detail, there were a lot of things that he had to struggle through in his life, and the church was the main thing that helped him get through it. And I think that's one of the real powerful things about 
his testimony as a as a youth pastor, and he and Natalia is, is that they kind of bring both sides uh, of that. And um, you know, it takes. You know, uh, I know a lot of people gave uh, you know Hillary Clinton a lot of grief for saying it takes a village to raise a child, but it it really takes a church to help with a family today. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know that 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 impartation comes through a lot of different people. There are a lot of men that have spoken to Stevie's life. Uh, through the years, there are a lot of women that have helped him and loved him and, you know, fed him meals and took care of him and, and took, you know, just to be a blessing to him. And so they bring to our youth ministry a, an a, some aspects that I think for this generation, especially of kids that we're dealing with, is absolutely perfect. It's absolutely perfect. So give him and Natalia a good hand. Amen. Awesome. Uh, at the end of the service, uh, the offering baskets are up here, so ushers, please don't forget that uh, they're up here. Uh, we're going to let you, if you would like to give, you can do that at the end of the service. Did everybody get a set of notes? I want to make sure. Did you get? I know it's uh, back here. I think some folks didn't get any. And I want to make sure everybody gets a copy of the notes uh, tonight. This is going to be really, uh, to me, this is one of the most uh, powerful subjects that I'm going to be sharing with you tonight. Uh, about transformation, about transformation. And, um, you know, when we come into the church, we come into the kingdom of God, we bring a ton of baggage with us. I mean, we really do. We, we bring all of our past experiences, we bring all our disappointments, we bring our frustrations in. Sometimes we come in, we bring religious ideas in with us, you know, depending on where we were raised as children, what Sunday school classes we were part of. I mean, there are a lot of things that we bring to the table when we come to Christ. I, you know, my testimony is I had some family that, that really wanted me to be in church. My mom was a, my mom was a churchgoer. Um, my dad was not. And uh, then they divorced when I was eight. And so, um, and my dad pretty much disappeared there for a while. And uh, my mom would try, you know, she worked as a waitress at night, so she worked till 3 a.m. in the morning. Well, it's kind of hard to come home at 3 a.m. and then get all the kids up and drive them, drag them off to church, you know, and, and there were four of us, and we were all tough. I mean, tough, just fight with each other. How many of you were raised in a family like that where you just kids all just, yeah. So, I mean, it was a tough environment, and so... Um, my aunt and uncle really took us under their wing, and they actually made sure the church bus would come. Sometimes my aunt would come and make sure that we got dressed to go to church. So even as a kid, I sat in an Assemblies of God church and was learning in Sunday school, but I really didn't have any real understanding of, you know, even though I, even though I sang and I had some real spiritual experiences, I never really, that I can remember, had that moment where I could say, you know what, I've asked Jesus into my life and I'm totally dedicated to him. And uh, so, you know, along that way is alcoholism, is drug addiction, is all the different things that I got involved in, a lot of other perversion that was in my life. And, uh, you know, it, so when I came into the kingdom of God, I brought in all my insecurities, I brought in all of my failures, I brought all my frustrations, and I can't... I brought all that in, and what I found out, and I'm sure you found out the same thing, is just because I became a Christian, it didn't go away. I, I, my emotions didn't change overnight. My attitudes didn't change overnight. You know, I had a pretty powerful experience receiving Christ into my life, and it was really awesome. 
when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. That was really awesome too, uh, an awesome experience. But there was still the reality of who I am that I kept struggling with in the battle of going through, dealing with my own, my own demons, I guess, if, if you let me use that tonight, and that struggle. And so what I learned is, is that there was something that had to change in me before anything was going to change outside me. And I think that's such an incredible lesson for all of us to learn. I think as Christians, we, because we think, well, I'm a Christian now, I've asked Jesus into my life, and so everything's going to change, and it's just not. It's not going to change unless you're intentional about changing you. And we're going to look at that tonight about how that happens in our life when we talk about transformation. If you have your Bibles there, if you'll turn, them to, turn to Romans chapter 12, verse 1 with me. And uh, I'm going to read this out of the King James Version, New King James, and then I want to read it out of um, the uh, Amplified Version. But this is what it says in the New King James Version. He said, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay? So, you know, to me, as we start in this, I did this a lot in the church. I really did. I mean, look, if there was an altar call, I went up. Even, even when I was battling with all my addictions in my life, if there was an altar call, I was going to the altar. So I didn't have a problem with, you know, I just thought, I, I'm so miserable with this stuff in my life. I'm going to the altar. I, maybe I really didn't get, maybe I'm really not saved. Maybe I, maybe I need to, maybe there's something there waiting for me. So I don't really have a problem with presenting my body a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable to God. And I would say that overall, you know, mo- the, the majority of church people aren't going to really have an issue with that. They really do want, we get sacrifice in the church. We understand that that's a part of, you know, the sacrifice that Christ made. But when you get to that next part, he says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This was my struggle, because you have to do the renewing. You have to do that part of it. You have to be the one that makes the efforts to do renewal in your life for transformation. And he says, don't be conformed, but be, he uses the word transform. Now in the Greek language, the word transformed here is the word metamorpho, and it means to be, go through the metamorphosis. That's why a lot of times we'll use the, um, you know, they talk about new birth or being born again. They use the, the caterpillar to the butterfly. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But uh, it, it's this idea of going from one thing to another thing. But here's, the, here's what we've got to get figured out here tonight is, is that that isn't going to happen just because of the environment that I'm in. That's only going to happen because I changed the environment in me, okay? Because see, there's a lot of things that I think, that I believe, that I've developed in my life. You know, they say your philosophy is your operating system. That's kind of how you look at life, how you deal with life. There's a lot of things that we develop inside of us, and when we become Christians, we're emotionally bound to some of them, um, and so those things run deep in us. They can show up in our marriages. They can show up in our way we raise our children. You know, you've said, I'm sure all of you that have parents, you've caught yourself a few times sounding like your mom or your dad. And uh, you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, and I hated that about, you know, growing up. But now you're like, 
saying things that they would have said. So there is a struggle that, that, that we go through. And emotion, and, and, and you've heard me talk about this before, emotion is the hardest thing to change in a person's life because we feel, we deeply feel. You know, that emotion that, that we have is, is not only is it a memory, but that emotion is also a memory that has emotional or has sense to it. And so, you know, like um, for me, like let's talk about a church memory. When I sing the song, How Great Thou Art, I'm not here. I'm all the way back 30, 40 years ago in a church environment with my aunt and uncle singing that song. Now, you're not maybe having the same experience. Some of you probably have different people that are, but that song has emotional value to me. And I watch it in our congregation. Chuck can testify to this. There are certain songs that we do that there is emotional value for the people that are singing them. And more people engage in them because they relate it to some... It isn't they're relating it to the moment they're in right now. They're relating it to their history, their emotional history that they have with that song. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? That's the problem. I love listening to... You know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a classic rock person, and I love classic rock. But you have to watch, because when you listen to classic rock, it can remind you and bring up those emotional values of when you were roasted out of your mind, right? And so, you know, you got to, those are not good things. When you were, you know, as unfaithful as could be, you were, you know, you're a mess. So you have to watch sometimes when you're, you know, those songs bring emotional value to them, and that can put you in a state of mind that's not a good place to be, okay? And uh, so you have to, I suppose the same would be true with country music or, I don't know about classical. I don't know what classical does, but yeah. But you understand what I'm saying is there's the there's always emo, emotions the hardest thing for you to move out of your life because that's how you that's how you feel about something. So sometimes we're in a place in our lives where we're really wanting to believe God, but something emotionally about us is holding us back. Something emotionally is holding us back, and it could be just something we went through could be something that we were taught, something that we came to believe through the years. But the thing that it says here is don't be conformed. Don't be conformed to this world. Listen to this verse 2 out of um, the Amplified. So don't be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external and superficial customs, but be transformed, changed by the entire renewal of your mind, by its new ideals and its new attitudes, so that you may prove for yourselves what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, even the things which is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight for you. And I love the way the message translation says this. It says, do not become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Yikes! That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fa- fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it, unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. So this, to me, is, is a powerful... This, this is the key for you to have, six, to, to have real, lasting change in your life. Now, you know, maybe you just like the way things are. But if you're like me, I always am thinking about I need to improve in these areas. 
you know, I battle through everything everyone else battles through, self-esteem issues. I battle with insecurity. I battle with, you know, am I, can I do this? Am I, is it possible? Some days I get up, I'm depressed. I mean, I feel, I don't know why I'm depressed. I'm just depressed. It just doesn't feel like a good day today. But what do we do about all of that? I mean, is that it? Is that the emotional value I'm having, the thing I'm going through at that moment? That's it, and I just need to settle into that and just accept it, pull the covers over my head and back off? Or is there something that I can do in my life that could change those kinds of things in my life? Well, I'm on a journey to change those things. I believe that God's plan was not that I live a depressed life. Amen. I believe that God's plan was is that I don't have to live my life with based off of the addictions that I've had to deal with. I don't think that's what God intended for me at all. So I think God, you know, if Jesus came to set us free, I want to be truly free. Amen? I think that's true for all of us. Look, if we believe Jesus came to set us free, he said, whom the Son sets free is free indeed, then I want to know what real... I want to be totally free. Amen. I want to be totally free. So it's, it's a powerful thing that we have to change. When you read your Bible, you will read about all kinds of people that God tried to bring into new environments to bring them to freedom, but the inner struggle they had always drug them back to where they were at. Okay? When God brought the Israelites out of Egypt, they were out. Pharaoh's army was defeated. But they could not get over, they, they began to romanticize and to think how grand it was where they used to be in Egypt in, as slaves, doing hard labor for someone else. But what they began to think about was, remember how we always had meat in the pot, we always had food to eat, we were always, you know, and it wasn't, but you, you know how you will romanticize your past? Everybody does this. You know, you look at things in your life. You know, husbands and wives will do this when they look back like, you know, 40 years ago when you were living on ramen noodles or macaroni and cheese. And you're like, remember when we used to, you know, we were happy and we, you know, it was, yeah, well, you know, I, I, I don't know if we really, I don't know if we were just ignorant or, or we really were happy. But I know that we can romanticize things in our life that, uh, that have happened in the past. So, Egypt, when they got out of Egypt, they struggled. When they got to the promised land, they struggled. They said, look, we can't do this. They hadn't brought themselves to that place. God brought them through. But they said, we can't beat these guys. I mean, look, the greatest army in all the world was in Egypt. The greatest army in all the world. Trained soldiers was in Egypt. And God absolutely defeated them and set the Israelites free. They come up to the promised land, and they're freaking out about armies that are much smaller and much weaker. But they begin to say things like, we were grasshoppers in our, in, in our own sight, so we were grasshoppers in their sight. They, they begin to reveal that in their heart, even though they were out of Egypt, Egypt was not out of them. And that's what happens in our lives. We come out into new things, and God is pushing us forward, and we begin to resist back to things the way that they used to be. They teach, and in, in, uh, you've heard me talk about this a little bit, in psychology, they call it, the, um, they call it um, the terror barrier. That at a point in your life, in your growth, you will reach some point here where you'll be so uncomfortable. We, we, they also call it, in psychology, they'll call it liminal space. 
And in liminal space means your options. You know, to go up, you got to give up. There's no way you can do everything that you want to do in success and hang on to everything you've already got. There's just no way to do that. So liminal space is where you get into this point in your life where you have to make a choice. Either I'm going back to where I was and I'm going to settle for that, or I'm going forward and I'm going to release the past and move forward. Now, we all would want to say tonight, I'm sure, no, man, I always want to move forward. But when you're in liminal space, it don't feel like move forward. In liminal space or in that terror barrier, it feels like if I make this decision to move forward, I'm going to lose some friends, I'm going to upset some people, I'm going to upset the apple cart here, it's going to be uncomfortable, I'm not real sure about my security and everything. That's what happens in liminal space. That is exactly, God knows that. That's what happened to the Israelites. That's what happened to, you know, that's what happened with anybody that you look at. Like you look at Saul. We just got done reading about Saul. Saul got put into a position where, uh, you know, most people remember that he made, uh, he did, uh, uh, brought back the goats and the sheep, you know, from when they went to battle and he brought back the king of Agag and how that he basically disobeyed God. But he had, that wasn't the first time that had happened. He disobeyed God way before that whenever he decided that it was taking too long for Samuel to show up. And so he went ahead and decided that he was the priest. So he got impatient, and so he decided he'd just take charge. And that's really was his, that was the beginning of his downfall as a leader because he began, that, because he began to think, I don't need to follow God's system. I'll just do whatever I want to do. And that's what he did. And that's what happened, and it showed back up whenever he fought the king at Agag and uh, let him live. So my point with that is, is that God has called us to move beyond our inner t- turmoil or our inner terror, our inner liminal space that's within us. But for that to happen, we have to renew our mind. So, you, so here's the key. How do we do that? How do we renew our mind? How do we change what we believe? How do we change how we view things? Well, Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10 says this, that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and we believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we would be saved. In verse 10 he says, for the heart one believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. With the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So what you say has a great impact on your deliverance. You know, the word salvation, we tend to think of that just about being saved, going to heaven. But salvation means healing, it means deliverance, it means all these aspects of what God has provided in redemption. So when we talk about how do I get salvation, how do I experience God's salvation in my life, the way that happens is through what I am confessing, what I am saying. Now in your notes there, I put that the word confession... It's two words in the Greek language. It's the word homologia. Homo, of course, means same. And then the word logia is the, word, is, is the Greek word that's used not uh, for word, logos. And it means the expressed idea. So when I make confession, when I am making a confession, I am saying the same thing, the same word. It just means same words. Confession means same words. I am saying what someone else has said, all right? I am saying what someone else has said. Now, if someone came up to you and said you're an idiot, does that have to phase you? No. 
But if you say it to yourself, if you say what they're saying, right, will it affect you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Jesus said, be careful what you hear. He wasn't saying stay away from everybody and don't let them say stuff. He was saying, be careful what you allow you to hear you say. Be careful what you hear. Because see, it doesn't matter what everybody else says about you. Who cares? But it does matter if you give value to it and you begin to say it. Well, you're stupid. Well, if you believe that, you go, well, I'm stupid. I guess I am stupid. Or, you know, and maybe they can point out stupid moments in your life. And you know what? We all have those. But, But just because we have stupid moments or because we do idiotic things or because we're not always sharp as a tack, you know, that doesn't mean that we're stupid, idiotic people. All right? When we begin to say what someone else says, that's what begins to change us. Mark, Mark chapter 4, verse 24, when Jesus, in the context of this, said, be careful what you hear, he said, the measure, and this is how they amplified, the measure of thought and study that you give to what you hear, the word that you hear, will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that will come back to you and more besides will be given to you. So what happens is, is that the more that you contemplate what someone else is saying about you, this is powerful now, The more you think about what someone else is saying about you, the more power you're giving to what they said in your life. The more you think about it, the more you contemplate it, the more power you're giving to the words that you have heard. Now take that on the converse with God. The more thought you give to what God has said, is the more power you experience in your life of what God has said over you. That's why Hebrews 3.1 tells us that you and I, uh, understanding about Jesus, that it says that, therefore, holy brethren, uh, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest, uh, King James says, profession of our confession, Christ Jesus. That we should consider what he has said as kind of the epitome of how that we should be talking about what we should say the same thing of. What did Jesus say? We should be saying that. Okay, we should say like what he said. We should say, you know, um, if we we find ourselves in a place where we're saying what everybody else says about us, then that's having power. And and look, I've met people that they're chained up to something someone said to them 20 years ago. They're still locked up by it. You know, and, 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 and God didn't, call, look, God, you don't have to be that way. I get it. I get the, how hard that is. But there is a transformation that can happen. You have that ability to be able to be transformed. But the way that that happens is, is that by homologia. It comes through saying what God has said. It comes through come expressing God's ideas. The key to your success, all the key to your success, in everything, physically, mentally, financially, everything, all is geared off of your heart, every bit of it. Your heart is that combo of soul and spirit. Everything that God wants to do, He's going to do through here by changing this. The Bible says that out of your heart, this is out of Proverbs chapter 4, Out of your heart, I didn't put this one in your notes, flow the issues of life. 
okay? I'm not the best. I get confused writing this. There we go. The issues of life. One translation says, out of your heart flow the stuff that life is made of. So anything that's going to change, see, we did, that's how we go to God. We go to God and we say, God, you change, you change it, you change it, you change it, you change it, you change it. And there are some things we do need to ask God to help, you know, to, to be a part of that. But God's saying, look, you change you and all of this out here will change. Seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness. And then all these things, what are all those things? Whatever they need to be. All these things will be added to you. So if it doesn't change here, it's not going to manifest out here. Okay? The issues of life. The way that you change, Jesus talked a little bit about this. He said, look, out of the abundance of your heart, your mouth speaks. All right? Out of the abundance of your heart, whatever's in there in abundance now, your mouth is saying over your life. And you know what? A lot of times you don't even know what your mouth is saying when you're saying it. I mean, if I walked up and said, you're stupid, you might look at me and say, are you wanting to fight? But yet, if you make an error, you'll say, I'm so stupid. Okay, look, don't call yourself stupid because you're not stupid. Right? I never succeed. I've heard, I've, I've, I've listened, I've done it myself, so I know what this is like. I, I, I'm a failure. I'm a flop. I can't do it. I, I can't succeed. I can't, I can't overcome this. It's too hard. All of that is stuff you tell yourself and you've come to believe about yourself. God is saying it's not too hard. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. Amen. You can overcome anything. In fact, you know, we use that verse a lot of times out of, out of Philippians. We say, oh yeah, no, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know what the context of that verse is? It's the context of whether you have a lot or you have a little, you can be content in whatever environment you're in. It doesn't really matter what's going on out here because in here, you know, you can get through whatever it is you're going through right now. Man, I wish I could get a good amen. Your soul and spirit are the key to you experiencing the issues of life. What you're dumping into here consistently is what is setting resident inside of you. And that, if it's bad stuff, we keep reaffirming the wrong things in our life. These things build up in our life and they manifest in what we say. We believe in our heart. We confess with our mouth. Is that, does anybody, does everybody understand that? So this happens in every, I mean, look at your life. Look at the things you say. Look at how you think about you and how you look at environments you're going into. What is it you're telling yourself before you go into those environments? You know, like you're going to apply for a new job. Oh boy, I don't know. You know, I, 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 it's really tough to get a job today. You're already convinced you're not going to win. They took a bunch of kids, true story. Took a bunch of kids, split them up, put one group in another room and another group in another room, and then they had a central room. Now, the object that these kids had was they were to come back to the room and they were to take these blocks and they were to put them in the right holes, okay? So they, they were both groups were going to do the same thing. So they, they take the one group of kids and they tell them, look, 
We don't expect you to finish this. This is very, very hard. Nobody ever does this. Nobody can do this. And just give it your best effort and try, but we know you won't succeed at it, so don't worry about it. They go in the room. Those kids are looking at those blocks. They can't figure out. They're struggling. Test finished. None of the kids passed the test. None of them. Other group, they said, hey, guys, we just want you to know this test is a piece of cake. You go in there. I mean, anybody could do this. This is a piece of cake. You'll go in there. You'll fly through it. It won't be a problem. Guess what happened when they went in? The kids flew through. Every kid in that other group got to succeeded in getting those blocks in the right holes. What was the difference? It's what they believed. Now, what do you believe in your life that's causing you not to be able to get the right blocks in the right hole? Well, I was brought up poor. Who cares? Can you change that? I'm not good with money. See, that's a lie. You're just not good with money right now. But that can change. I'm unhealthy. I got this. I got this problem. I'm, I, I, I have a temper problem. All the things we tell ourselves and believe about ourselves, that these are things that are in our soul and our spirit, and these things are manipulating the issues of life in our life. These are, these are dictating what our life looks like. And then we end up mad at God because we're like, God, I asked you to take care of this. And God's like, look, I can't take care of this because you keep messing it back up because you won't change your heart. Change your heart and all of this will change. And I've given you the vehicle to do that and that is through homologia. What do you, what is it that you say? Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, I want to talk to you for just a few minutes here tonight about um, this idea about, about transformation. I used that example earlier talking about transformation, the, the, the one, the metamorpho about the butterfly and the caterpillar, right? And has anybody here ever taken a cocoon with a, but, with a, with a caterpillar in it and cut it open? It never looks like what you think it's going to look like inside. I mean, it just doesn't. I mean, you know, you're always thinking like, well, I'm going to open this up and there'll be like a caterpillar that's got wings growing out of it and all. But here's what really happens, and this is scientifically proven, okay? What really happens inside of that, that they call it the chrysalis, the, the cocoon, is that caterpillar, its own body begins to release these juices that begin to tear its system apart completely. So what happens is, is that the caterpillar, basically, its DNA begins to break down inside of it, inside that cocoon. Now, you, you and I don't see that. Uh, we don't see it happening, and you would actually kill, kill it by opening it up. But it's actually what's going on inside that is it's turning into just a bunch of goo is what it turns into. But in that tearing down of that caterpillar, its own system now, there are cells that are in that caterpillar that begin to redefine who that caterpillar is. It begins to change, and they begin to restructure. So out of this gooey mess that's inside that, that cocoon, these cells begin to dominate. Now immediately what happens is, this is such a powerful thing, immediately the old caterpillar cells begin to fight those cells that want to change. Immediately. It begins to resist it. In fact, the immune system of the caterpillar tries to destroy those cells, but it can't. 
those cells begin to take over, they begin to cluster, and they begin to develop and create this butterfly inside of that. You know what they call those cells that create that? They call those cells imaginal. Imaginal, and that's in your notes there. Imaginal. And what imaginal, and scientists did such a great job with this, coming up with this term, because imaginal cells is what could be, but does not yet exist. That was how they defined it. It's what could be, but does not yet exist. It's potential. It's the potential to become something different. And I want you to know tonight that that's inside of you. There are imaginal cells that came from God. They are His DNA. They are not your DNA. They are cells that your body resists. Your spirit man resists them. Your, your sinful nature resists your re sinful thinking. You know, just all the junk in our lives. And it resists those imaginal cells. Those imaginal cells carry within them the DNA of God's dream for your life. They're who God thinks you could be. And maybe you're not there yet, but they're still there. And your system can resist them, but they cannot overcome them as long as, long as you don't give up, as long as you don't quit or abort too soon. See, you and I, when we give in to what God, and I'll show you this from the Scriptures here, when we surrender ourselves to what God has said about us, we overwrite our DNA. We overwrite our DNA. We, we rewrite our hearts. We overwrite our DNA to, to get rid of, to overcome sin, to live a sinful lifestyle. We overcome the DNA to live a life of lack and inadequacy. All of that is overwritten as we take on these imaginal cells in our life. You know, then the butterfly shows up. Now, the butterfly is awesome when it comes out, but it's gone through hell to get to that place. It's gone through struggle. It's gone through a long process. But because it stuck with it, it experienced the glory of what it was destined to always be. That's true for you and my life. You know, when we go through difficulty, a lot of times that is because we're in a place. It's that, you know, when that, I promise you, when that caterpillar gets in that cocoon, it's in a liminal space. It's in a terror barrier. It's dark. It's tight. I can't get out. I'm devouring myself. I'm changing. I've never been this before. You know, I don't want to, you know, I, I've learned as a Christian, I don't want to just, I don't want my Christianity just to make me a better person. I want to be a new person. I don't want to just be a better me, you know, that I just, well, you know, I'm just, I'm just a better guy than what I used to be. No, I want to be, I don't want to be that guy anymore. I want to be what God has imagined for my life. You know, the Bible tells us that God has imagined some pretty amazing things for all of us. I mean, it, and it's not all the same what he's imagined for us, but we know this, that all his plans for us are good and all of them are for profitable, profitability in our lives and they're going to help us. When you look at 2 Peter, if you turn there with me, you guys doing okay? I got a little bit more time here, so 2 Peter chapter 1. Um, I, do we have a, can uh, somebody run and get me a paper towel or something? I can't, I don't have anything to wipe this, or a nap, uh, napkin, right? I got it. Thanks, Tina. Great, thank you. 
2 Peter chapter 1, go ahead and turn there with me if you would, and we're going to look at a passage there that talks about how that the Word of God carries within it the DNA of God. Um, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. Look at verse 4 by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature. Whose divine nature? DNA. Of God. That is God's DNA. Now there's two aspects to this. You have the promise... And you have the power. you got to have both. you got the promise and the power. He told you right there that it's through these. He says that, he said that, that as His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, that by which we have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promise, that through these we could be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. How do we not be conformed to this world? Right here it is. It told us that what has to happen in our lives is we have to experience the promise and the power who God is. The promise and the power of who God is. Those are the elements of the seeds of who God is, of God's nature that you and I are experiencing in our life. And I don't have time to get into all the detail of this tonight, but when you and I receive the Word into our lives, and when I say receive, that means we're going to give thought and study to it. We're not just going to just go, hey, that was a good sermon, thank you, that was really awesome, um, you know, uh, and we take our notes and we throw them in our Bible and then we throw them away in a couple of weeks whenever our Bible's got too many things and notes in them. So when we take something and we give thought and study to it, it means I'm going to meditate on this, I'm going to give some time to this, I'm going to really ponder on this, I've got to really think of how this applies to me, how can I put this into work in my life, what kinds of things do I believe right now, and that'd be a question I'd ask you tonight, what things do you believe right now that you know that's not God? What do you believe right now that you know is not God? And don't, I, look, we could play games and you can just go, oh no, everything I believe, I, all my beliefs are right. They're all baloney, okay? Baloney. Because, because look, God isn't putting limits on us. Your potential is unlimited. The only limitations you have are the ones that are self-imposed. And, and, and look, you can, we can candy coat that, and our society's really good at this. We say, no, no, my limitations are because I'm a woman. Baloney. My limitations are because I'm black. Baloney. My limitations, I'm American Indian. My limitations are because I was American Indian. My limitations are because I'm too tall. My limitations are because I'm too short. My limitations are because I'm too fat. No, my limitations are because I'm, I'm too skinny. I'm too young. I'm too old. The man is holding me back, right? My limitations are because I'm just not real educated. Baloney. See, those are all limitations. Who told you that? I'll tell you who told you that. You told you that. I can't ever be prosperous. I can't ever get out of debt. It just doesn't seem like I can ever make ends meet. Who told you that? You told you that. You believe that. So these are things that, we have to change. Are you guys all right? 
And you're like, oh, man, we have to change. And the way that we change is not just because we want to change, because if, look, if want to was enough, man, we'd all be the perfect of whatever it is we think we need to be, okay? Want to is not enough. It's by partaking of the promise and the power of who God is. Through, by that exchange, by that divine exchange, that's when our belief system begins to unravel and God begins to build in us. See, God isn't saying that, no, you got to get rid of all the... This is really awesome. God isn't saying, look, I want you to get rid of all your bad attitudes. I want you to get... That's what we try to do, you know, we, and we fail horrible at this. You know, straighten up, be tough, have a better attitude. That isn't what God is asking you to do. What God is saying to you is begin to apply my attitude. Begin to apply. Because what God will do is just like those imaginal cells do, God will overcome all that negativity in your life through the power of His Word. It'll all change. You don't have to get rid of, you know, it's not like you've got to purge yourself out before you can take in the new. God already knows you've got all that stuff in there. What He's saying is, don't let that be an excuse for not taking on my thought. My thoughts. So we begin to apply <coughs> the promises. All of a sudden, we're not being conformed. We're, we're beginning to see change. We're starting to respond differently in our life. We face circumstances that all of a sudden we're not talking like we used to talk. We're not saying the exact same things. That's what happened with Joshua. I mean, you know, look, Joshua following in the footsteps of Moses. Moses is an incredible leader. I mean, what, how do you... How do you take over for a guy that glowed like a light bulb. I mean, and lights weren't even invented then. So, I mean, this guy was so bright, you know, how do you take over? And this guy, he talked face-to-face with God. I mean, think about that. I mean, and, and, and you're just a, you were just a footman, soldier, assistant, helping, and, and this was the guy, and he led us, and then he kicks the bucket. He's gone. And you don't know what, well, what do we do? And God has to come in, and I just think it's so incredible. God says, kind of shakes Joshua and says, Moses is dead. I'm thinking, Moses, Joshua, did he not realize Moses was dead? Well, the truth is, they were looking for Moses. Because, see, they didn't see him die. They didn't see him die. Moses went off by himself and died. And then God hid his body, because if he hadn't hid his body, guess what they would have done? They'd have built, they'd erected it, they would have, oh yeah, they would have put him in a nice, you know, glass casket or whatever they could come up with and, uh, you know, bow down to him. So God's got Joshua here and he said, hey man, he's dead. Stop looking for him. Stop trying to, that's over with. You think Joshua was emotionally bound to what he had experienced? I mean, look, it's one, you know, when you're not in charge, it's kind of cool and you get to follow somebody else, a, a leader, and you don't have to make the decisions. You just follow. Because look, if we screw up, it's on them, right? I'm just a soldier. I'm not the guy calling the shots around here. So God says, no, I called you now to call the shots. Now, I don't think Joshua ever had the relationship, had the experience in his life like Moses did. Moses was a unique deal. Joshua had a relationship with God that was unique to Joshua. Joshua was a warrior. His experience was totally different than Moses' experience with God. 
I mean, we never saw Moses get in a battle and say, let the sun stand still and the moon stand still. I mean, you know, that's, that's pretty bold right there. How did Joshua get to that place? God told him the secret to make that happen. He said, look, don't be afraid, even though I know you are. But he said, don't let the book of the law, my word, depart from your mouth. Meditate in it day and night. Give thought to it. Give study to it. And then he said, look, if you'll do that, if you'll do what I said to do, you'll make, if you'll just meditate on it, if you'll just speak it, mutter it over your life consistently, you'll begin to do what I said to do. And when you do what I said to do, he says, then what will happen is, and I love this, he says, you will make your own way prosperous and you'll have good success. See, what we want to do is to pray for God to make us successful and God's saying, make your own way successful and the way you do that is by doing what I said to do and if you'll do what I said to do, uh, the only way you'll be able to do what I said to do is begin to speak what I've already said. Homologia, confess the same thing. Amen? So Joshua becomes this incredible leader, and he changed completely. Uh, the Joshua in Joshua 1 is very different than the Joshua in Joshua 10 and Joshua 12, because he did what God said to do. And he knew that the way for his success. Now tonight, you might be still thinking, well, I know, Pastor, that's really good preaching, that's really nice, but my success is really tied towards winning the lottery. Right? My success is getting a promotion at work. My success is when I get a better job. My success is when I get my inheritance. My success is when whatever, whatever you're putting it out there. And the truth is, is that that is, if, you, if you'll allow me, that is a victimized mentality that we develop in our lives because we think that our success is based off anything else than ourselves. You are not a victim to the environment you work in. You are not a victim to your family. You are not a victim to the cash flow you had as a child or growing up in your home or the cash flow you have now. You can be, do anything that you want to do. Now, you can put yourself down and you can live in bondage and God will let you do that and you'll do it the same way that you would to have success, homologia. You will say what someone else has said. You'll say what the devil said over you. You'll say what your grandma, your grandpa, your whoever said over you, or you can start saying what God said, which carries his DNA, which will rewrite your DNA. And when your spiritual DNA changes, your physical DNA changes. Your physical DNA changes. You know, um, uh, someone was asking me about this the other day from my, the other church I pastored. They said, who was it that, uh, that you could take and you could put a disease on them and the disease would die? Who was that? Well, it was Alexander Dowie. Alexander Dowie, he's the one that founded Zion, Illinois. Um, and Dowie was in a situation where the bubonic plague was just running rampant. And he, they said, you know, he says, well, I'm going to go in and pray for these people. And they said, if you go in there and pray, you will get the bubonic plague and you will die. And he says, no, I will not die. And they said, yes, you will. So we won't let you go in there. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take some of that bubonic plague, the foam from it, that, that's contagious, and I want you to put it on my hand. I want you to inspect it under the microscope before you put it on my hand. I want you to see that it's living cells, this bubonic plague. And then I want you to take that same foam and I want you to put it on my hand. 
and then I want you to scrape it off my hand and put it under the microscope, and I'm going to tell you exactly what's going to happen. When you look at it under the microscope, every one of those cells will be dead in that plague. And sure enough, they took all those cells when they did that test on him, and they looked at it under the microscope, and every time, every one of those cells died. Now, why is that? Because he had rewritten his inner DNA about healing, Therefore, he could rewrite his outer DNA with healing. The measure of thought and study you give to the word that you hear will be the measure of virtue and knowledge that will come back to you. And more besides will be given to you who hear. Let me throw a couple other things at you. Are you guys doing okay? Uh, 414, if you're not, too bad. Uh, seeing that, <laughs> Hebrews 4.14, seeing that we are, have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our homologia, our confession. Let us hold fast our confession over our lives. Hebrews 10.19, therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiness, holiest by the blood of Jesus, uh, by a new living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Turn with me to 1 Timothy 6.12 please. And uh, we're wrapping up here tonight. 1 Timothy 6.12. And in 1 Timothy 6.12, it says this, Paul writing to Timothy, look, son, he says, fight the good fight of faith, lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. All right. Fight the good fight of faith. And it's interesting when you look at this word that's used here for fight, in the Greek language, it's, the, it's, it's called the present imperative. And, uh, you know, the, it, just like we have uh, English tenses like past, present, future, participles, and things the way, the Greeks had that as well. One of theirs was present imperative. They also, is another word here that's used, that's the um, that's, um, aorist imp, uh, imperative. Present imperative means this is a command that you have to do this every single day the rest of your life. Okay, you do this every day for the rest of your life. So it means you start now and you keep doing it. It's a command, but you've got to keep doing it every day. Now, then he says, lay hold of, when he says lay hold of the salvation through that confession, he said, the word lay hold of there that it, that's used is, the, is in the aorist imperative, and that means that you need to make this decision once and for all in your life. Okay, this is your blanket decision. I'm going to do this. See, confession is not just that I confessed at church one time or I confessed my sin because I was sorry for what I did. Confession is, is a daily fight that we are in because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. With the heart a man believes, with the mouth a man makes confession over his life. And so what you and I do is, is that we begin to speak what God has said. Now go to 1 Timothy 1.18, since you're already in Timothy. And look at what Paul says to Timothy. This charge, Timothy, I commit to you, all right, son Timothy, according to the prophecy, the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. 
Now, prophecy is divine utterance. It's saying what God has said. All right, we're going to start these prophecy classes uh, starting next week, you know, talking about the supernatural life. And prophecy, in essence, is it's the reason it's edifying and it's exhorting and it's comforting is because we believe that God has said it, okay? Now, uh, the Scriptures are prophetic, period. They are. When you read Scriptures, it says that we have a more sure word Even if you went outside tonight and heard a voice from heaven that said, Eric, I love you, you have a more sure word in your scriptures, even though you heard it, because if you go outside and you say, I just heard God say out here loudly in the sky, I love you, everybody around you that didn't hear it's going to say, you just heard thunder, man, you're you're losing your mind, you're just, you're having an acid flashback, I mean, something something else is going on, all right? You have a more sure word because you can point right to where that is in your Bible that God so loved you that He gave His only begotten Son that you believed on Him. You're not going to perish. You have everlasting life. That is more sure than if you actually heard a voice speak out right now in this room and said that over your life. You have words that God has said, I have sent my word and healed you and delivered you from all your destruction, that the, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who believe. I mean, on and on and on. And you, we tend to think like, well, if I just, if I saw an angel or if I had it spoken in, I'd believe it more and you won't. Because faith doesn't come because you saw an angel. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Prophet, prophecy that's truly in line with the prophetic utterance of what God is saying which will always line up with Scripture and will not contradict Scripture. scripture, Excuse me. Prophecy, when it is spoken, will edify, exhort, and comfort. And here's why God gives us prophecy, at least in this context, one of the reasons He gives so we know how to fight. See, God typically gives us prophecies to prepare us or to help us in the battles that we're already dealing with in our life or we're about to deal with. So see, He charges us that we would receive those prophecies uh, that were made that we would by them wage a good warfare. How often do we do that? Every single day. Every single day. Did you get anything out of this? All right, now here's a confession that I make. This is one of mine that I do. I want you to hear this. I, this, this is on, I think it's on our Facebook church page. But uh, uh, I'll just walk you through, and I do this regularly, Okay. Jesus is first. This is what I'll say. Jesus is first in my life. I exist to serve and glorify Him. I love my wife and will lay down my life to serve her. My children and grandchildren will love God and serve Him with their whole hearts. I will nurture, equip, train, and empower them to do more for His kingdom than they can imagine. Complete physical and emotional and mental health is mine by the power of Jesus Christ. I am anointed to heal the sick and diseased. The power for creative miracles flows through me by the Holy Spirit. I am a living financial miracle because poverty has broken off my life and finances, uh, off my life and finances. I live in abundance. The windows of heaven are open to me. I love people and believe the best about others. I am disciplined. Christ in me is stronger than the wrong desires in me. I'm growing closer to Jesus every day because of Christ. My family is closer. My body is stronger. My faith is deeper. My leadership is sharper. I am anointed, empowered, equipped, and called to reach people far from God. I'm creative, innovative, driven, focused, and blessed beyond measure because the Holy Spirit dwells within me. I have unlimited potential to fulfill every dream, goal, and aspiration in my life. 
I develop leaders. That's not something I do. It's who I am. My words, thoughts, and imaginations are under the power of Christ. I take all thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ. I have no fear and am bold as a lion. I wake up with purpose, direction, and meaning every day of my life. Pain is my friend. I rejoice in suffering because Christ suffered for me. Stop belly aching about pain. It's a part of life. Pain is a part of life. We all deal with it. It's a part of life. Pain comes from use. It's just one of those things. I bring my best and then some. It's what I bring after I do my best that makes the difference. The world will be different and better because I serve Jesus today, and then I have a whole bunch of other things that I say after that. But look, that's all. I think that's all on the page. Now, look, those all sound pretty awesome. I want all those things. Don't you want all those things in your life? I mean, come on, man. Don't you want to be an awesome grandfather and an awesome husband? Awesome. Don't you want to be financially free and debt-free and prosperous? Don't you want to have an awesome imagination and be able to come up with creative things that nobody else is thinking about and see things in a different perspective? Or you can just choose to keep on saying what you're already saying about yourself. How's that working for you? Yeah, and it does. See, faith comes when you hear yourself. That's powerful. When you hear yourself say it. What do you hear yourself saying? What do you hear you say about you? Stand up with me. Amen. Well, I don't know about you, but I preach myself happy. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father God. Thank you, Father. Now, you know, maybe you think because I'm a preacher that I have like some special advantage that I don't have fearful thoughts and I don't have struggles. That's all garbage. I struggle with all kinds of stuff in my life. But I have made a decision in my life that I'm going to rewrite that DNA with God's DNA. I'm not going to be who I am. I'm going to tell you what. When I'm 70, I'm going to turn 60 here in a couple weeks. When I turn 60, I'm better than I was at 50. When I turn 70, I'm going to be better than I was at 60. When I turn 80, I'm going to be better than I was at 70. And on and on it goes. My imagination will never stop. My growth will never stop. My faith will never stop. I'm going to be a monster at 80, I'm telling you right now, because I'm going to just keep on growing. I mean, just doing an incredible. I've already got, I'm already dreaming about where, this, where I'm going to be in 10 years from now. What am I going to be doing? What's going to be happening in my life? Where are we going to be going? You know, amen. Sharon better stay in good shape because I'm going to chase her a lot. Amen. Where are you going? Where do you want to go? What do you want to be? It isn't just going to happen because you want it to change. It only changes because you homologia. You come into alignment with what God has said and you begin to let that flow out of your life. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you are transforming. We, we know that your word rewrites, it changes. We become a new creation. That old things are passed away and all things become new. We've become totally, as one translation says, totally altogether different. Well, Lord God, I'm for that. I'm glad I'm not an addict anymore. I'm glad for the freedom from all of that. I'm glad, Lord God, that you've delivered me from so many insecurities and fearful things in my life. I'm glad, Lord God. 
I'm thankful, Father God, that you continue to take me on a journey, Lord God, of who you see me being, what you've already written into, my, into your DNA for my, my life. I want to walk in that to prove what is that good and acceptable and that perfect will of God. And I absolutely today, I absolutely, and I hope you'll agree with me in this in prayer, I absolutely today refuse to allow anything from my past, anything in the present, or any other person than my God to define who I am and who I will be. In Jesus' name, and all those agreed said, amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you. Have an awesome evening.